The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, hey, uh, we just got through the holiday season. I guess we're still kind of in the holiday season, but I know for me, uh, growing up, the holidays were always a really special and magical kind of time. Uh, I remember being a kid and just getting really excited for Christmas and New Year's and all that went along with it. And uh, now I have a little girl. She just turned two a couple of months ago. Uh, And I am now in this new phase of life where I'm really excited and want to share those things with her. Some of you are parents. You can relate to that, right? There's something that great that you went through in your life. You're like, man, I want my kid to see this. They're gonna love it. And so a big part growing up for me, uh, I was a kid in the 90s, uh, was uh, going to the mall. Did anybody else go to the mall as a Yeah, some of you went to the mall around Christmas time. Yeah, some of you did that. Yeah. So my family, we would go to the mall uh, around Christmas time, and it was like part of the Christmas tradition, right? You'd go a few weeks before Christmas. There was no Amazon back then. You had to go and buy your gifts for everyone at a store, right? And so we'd go, the whole family would load them in the car. We'd go to the mall, and then they'd have to go, you know, the family had to go get their Christmas presents and shop. And as a kid, I was just kind of along for the ride, right? I get to go see all the stores. They're all decorated. Uh, we'd go and we'd see the giant Christmas tree in the middle of the mall. Sometimes Santa would be there if he went on the right day. And they even had like for a couple of years, they even had like a, like a train, like a Polar Express kind of train that went through. Some of you remember this. Yeah, you're there. You're like, yeah, I've been to that mall too. Yeah, right? It was like a big thing. It was like a cool thing. I remember going as a kid and just being like, wow, this is like, this is Christmas. This is amazing. And so uh, this year, uh, a few weeks ago, as we were in the Christmas season, uh, I had some time one day with my daughter, and I thought, well, I'm going to take her to the mall. I'm going to show her what Christmas is like. I'm going to let her experience what I experienced as a kid. So we went to the mall, drove there together. I got her out. We started walking through. I don't know if you've been to a mall recently, but things have changed. So we're walking through, we see, you know, it's still the same mall, but not a lot of the same stores are there. In fact, there are a lot of just empty spots where stores used to be, and they just say, like, coming soon, new store to be announced. And you're like, I don't know if a new store is going to be here. That sign looks pretty old, right? It's just like this empty mall. There weren't a lot of people there shopping. The stores that we went into, uh, they were empty. And I told my daughter, I'm like, we're going to go to the mall we're going to go, you know, walk around and we might even go see Santa. And so we walked to the middle of the mall and we're looking, there's no train. There was a Christmas tree. But when I was a kid, I felt like the Christmas tree was like two or three stories tall. And now as an adult, I was looking down on the Christmas tree. Like I could see the top of the Christmas tree from just where I was standing. And we're looking around at my daughter, you know, she's asking as we're going through like, Santa, Santa, where's Santa, where's Santa? And uh, as we're walking through, I just had to tell her, uh, baby girl, I think Santa has forsaken this place. It's been, it's been abandoned. And we, you know, we tried to make the best of it that we could, and we had a good day walking around and seeing what we could, but we ended up leaving, and I was really, I was really disappointed. I was really just thinking, man, I, it was so cool when I was a kid, and it brought me so much joy and hope, and I was, like, so excited about Christmas, and now it's just, it's just kind of sad. And I wish she could have seen it, like, in its glory days, right? Like, back when it was at its best. I feel like a lot of us have that sort of sentiment about things. Like, oh man, I just wish things were the way they used to be. 
And as you get older, and I, I don't consider myself an old man, but I am the student ministries pastor here, so I work with teenagers, and they tell me that I'm old quite a lot. So I feel like an old man sometimes. But as I get older and have more conversations with other people, I realize this is a common thought, a common sentiment. Is like, I just wish, you know, the people around me, I wish we could go back sometimes to how things were. I wish they could see it back when it was at its best. And some of us even look at our life that way and start to say, man, I just wish we could go back a little bit when things were better. Have you ever been there in your life? In New Year's, Christmas, you start looking around and reflecting. That could be fun, but it can also be kind of sad. You start to say, man, I, I remember what my family used to be like. Like we were together. We were happy. And it's not like that anymore. Or maybe your career, you think back to when you were younger and you got involved in the work that you do. And it's like, man, I was so full of hope. I was going to change the world. Now it's just like, I'm just trying to get through the day. Or even start looking at your faith and think, man, at one time in my life, I was all in. Like I was close to the Lord. Like I heard from the Lord. I, I sought him. But now it just feels so distant and so empty. And you wish you could go back. You wish you could make things how they used to be or go back to the way that things were. And if you're anything like that, then you're in good luck because the Bible has a word for us just about this sort of disappointment that we deal with. And it's found in uh, a little book at the end of the Old Testament, a little book called Haggai. So if you would join me in your Bible or in your Bible app in the book of Haggai, I know you all know where it is, but in case, you know, you need a refresher, it's near the end of your Old Testament. Um, and so if you go to like the New Testament, you go to Matthew and you go back a couple books, you'll find Haggai. It's a little, little book there in the minor prophets. And uh, it's a story, a really great story of God and his people and his people who are dealing with disappointment. Okay, so some background as you look for Haggai. Here's some background. We're in the Old Testament. So this is before Jesus's ministry here on earth. This is about God and his people, Israel. Israel uh, were God's chosen people. Uh, they, they followed him. He protected them and guided them. They disobeyed him, and then they were conquered by the Babylonians. Babylon came in, conquered Israel. They uh, tore down the city walls. They tore down God's temple. They took God's people, and they took them out of Israel, and they took them back over to Babylon, and they were in Babylon for several decades. And then as they were in Babylon, the Persian empire rose up and the Persian empire came and conquered Babylon and the Persians had a different policy. They were cool with people going back to where they were from. And so the Persians actually let the Israelites return to Israel, return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, right? So you've got these exiles, these people who were conquered. Some of them were born in exile, and some of them were, remember, getting conquered, and they're now returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And so they start with the walls, and they rebuild the walls, and next after the walls is the temple, and they start to rebuild the temple, but life starts to happen, right? They get busy doing other things. They're building houses. They're, you know, sowing crops. They're, they're working. They're doing other things. 
And it's in this period where the walls are rebuilt, but the temple's yet to be rebuilt, and the people are living in this repopulated Jerusalem that God sends a message through his prophet named Haggai. All right, so you're all with me? That's who Haggai is. He's a prophet. He's an Israelite. He's there bringing a word to the newly returned Israelites in Jerusalem. All right, so let's read it together. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So these are our main characters here. You got Haggai the prophet, you've got Zerubbabel, which is, I mean, come on. I mean, you guys came for an Old Testament name. There's no better Old Testament name than Zerubbabel, right? Zerubbabel, he is uh, the, the son of the governor. He's like from the kingly line, the political line, the ruler, right? He's kind of the, the representative of the ruling class that they sent. And then you have Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So he's from the priestly line and the priestly family. So you've got the prophet, the king, and the priest, all three like great leaders in Israel, all three lines of leadership are represented here. All right, and God's got a word for the prophet to give to his people. Verse two, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So the people are back. They're in the land. God's given them a call to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. They started rebuilding the temple then they got busy, started working on their houses. And Haggai, speaking for the Lord, says, is now the time for you to build paneled houses, like to decorate your homes when the temple lies in ruins? He's reminding the people, you've, you've misplaced, you've forgotten your priority about seeking after God. And he's saying, look what's, look what's happened. You're you're, you're neglecting God, right? The physical uh, destruction of the temple lying in ruins was, a, was a, a picture of their hearts, right? They had forgotten God. They were worried about themselves more than they were worried about following after God. And he's saying, look at your life. Look what's happening. You're, you're sowing, but you're not harvesting much. You're eating, but you're not filled. You're drinking, but you're not quenched. Like things aren't working out the way that you plan to work them out because God is not first in your life. It's reminiscent of Jesus's teaching that life is more than food and clothing but seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. It's similar to that, that message, right? Okay, so here's what, here's what the Lord speaks to Haggai and tells him to tell his people. Verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So God gives a message to his people. And he says, hey, you've left the temple in ruins. Go 
rebuild it. Now is the time to build the temple. He's saying the people are saying now's not the time, right? I've got my farm to tend to. I've got to put my house together. I've got to get things settled, right? We just got back, Lord. And then Haggai say, no, the Lord says now is the time to rebuild the temple. And it's this message, right? To put God first in your life, to seek after him. It is a message with a call to action to God's people. You track with me? Haggai's got a clear call to action. Haggai's saying, hey, the Lord said it's time to rebuild his temple. The Lord has sent me to tell you it's time to rebuild his temple. A clear call to action, a clear opportunity for obedience, for God's people back in the land to obey God in, in the way that he's called them to obey, right? And look, look, let's see what happens. Look, Haggai verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. I don't know how much time you've spent reading the Old Testament, but this is, this is a huge deal. The people of Israel got it right. God sent a message to his prophet, and he gave them a clear call to action, go rebuild the temple, and they did it. They listened, they obeyed God. They, they did everything they were supposed to do. That didn't happen in the history of Israel all the time, right? This is a big deal, a celebration. This is a really, really great thing that has occurred. And so they get to work. So they get the, the priest and, and the governor and they get all the people and the prophet calls them together and they start to work and they start to rebuild the temple, right? The people back in the promised land. I bet you as it started to happen, some excitement starts to build. People start to realize where they are in God's great story. Because some of them, remember, they were there when they got conquered. And as they left Jerusalem and Jerusalem was up in flames, they maybe thought, oh, we're done. Like, we're not, we're never going to come back here again. And now they're back in the city of their fathers, God's promised land to their people. And, and the people around them are listening to God and they're rebuilding the temple. There was some excitement building up for the people. They were God was restoring them. God was blessing them again. God was working in their lives. They were excited about what God was doing. So look, we get a picture of it here in uh, another book of the Bible, Ezra. He was a contemporary of Haggai. They were around at the same time. And Ezra writes it this way. He describes the temple this way. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good and for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They're celebrating. They're back in the land of their fathers. They're rebuilding the temple. Things are happening. People are excited. There's this great big ceremony 
They're digging up the ancient uh, uh, plans, uh, building plans that King David had laid down. They're probably thinking like, wow, this is what my great-great-grandpa was doing. This is what my, my family did generations ago. Now we get to be a, a new part of the history of Israel. And they're laying out the temple and they're excited and they bring in the, the Levites are back full uh, dress. They're in their full robes. They're singing psalms. They're, they're praising the Lord. This is the special moment of kind of like, man, we're, we're back. God is restoring us. God is doing something great. He's rebuilding us. He's rebuilding his people through us. We get to be a part of it. It's a celebration. And they do it. They rebuild the temple. And it's this amazing moment. But look at the response. This is the interesting part of this story. And one of the reasons why I love the Bible, because it's not like a fairy tale. Things don't end always the way that you think they end. Look, look at how the people respond to this newly rebuilt temple. Ezra 3, continuing, verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, people who had been there, they remember the first temple, the people who were there when they saw the first temple get burned, now they're back leading the restoration and the rebuilding project. These guys, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. They've come back. I mean, this is their goal. When they were in exile, they're like, we've gotta get back home. We've got to rebuild, and God allows it. He orchestrates it all to happen. They get back home. They rebuild, and these guys who have probably been longing for this for, for decades, who have been praying for this for decades, get to be part of the rebuilding process, and they rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem, and as it's come up and they have the ceremony, the people who were there that remembered the old temple, they look at the new temple, and they weep because it is nothing like the old temple. It is far from the glory of the old temple. And they think, God must not be in this. God's abandoned this. I don't know how familiar you are with the Old Testament and with the temple, but there's this guy named Solomon. He built the, the first temple. He was the son of King David, the great king of the Israelites. And Solomon, when he built the first temple, he, he consecrated, right? He had a prayer over it. Like they had a ceremony and he prayed over the first temple. And when he finished praying, the Bible says, smoke and thunder and lightning roared and rattled and filled the temple. And people there were shocked and amazed because the presence of God was in that temple. And now you've got people who maybe were there for that, who maybe at least heard stories of that. They're, they've seen that old temple. They come back now and they build this new one None of that happened. They think this building is small and ugly and there's nothing special about it. God must not be with us. At the core of what they're feeling is something that you and I all feel of when we are doing something, especially when we are doing something that we feel like God has called us to do, when we feel like we're doing the right thing and it feels like God didn't, 
show up and we're disappointed. And the people wept. It's how we feel maybe in our lives when we look at our careers. We think, God, I prayed a lot about what you wanted me to do with my life, and I felt you calling me and leading me into this line of work, and things have not gone well. Like, my career's really stalled. It's been really difficult, and I feel like maybe you didn't call me to this in the first place. Maybe you look at your family. You think, God, I tried to do things right. I went to Sunday school. I went to church. I tried to follow all the advice and the teaching I heard. I tried to raise my family the right way and still look, our, our family's broken. It, it didn't turn out the way that I thought that it would. Or maybe you look at your your faith. And you say, Lord, I've I've been doing the things you've called me to do. I pray, but I I feel like you don't answer. And these these doubts start to pop up and two, two big doubts start to come up. One, we doubt, did God ever lead me to this in the first place? We start to think, did I just trick myself? Like, did I just trick myself into thinking this is what I was supposed to do or where God was leading me or what God was telling me to do? Like, because it's clear that God's not in it. It's clear that God's not here. Or if we're like these guys, our disappointment is with God. And so our blame starts to shift towards God and we start to blame God and say, God, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. I thought if I obeyed, you would bless. And I obeyed and you did not bless. We listened to you. We were in exile. You led us here. We thought you led us here. We rebuilt the temple like you called us to do and still nothing's happening. This thing is pathetic. And they're dealing with this disappointment and this doubt of God's calling and God's goodness. And it's in this moment that God gives another word to the prophet Haggai. So go with me back to Haggai if you're following along with me. Go with me back to Haggai chapter 2 verse 3. The Lord speaking through Haggai says this, He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. God is saying, you're doubting whether I called you to this. You're doubting whether that I'm still in it. And he says, be strong. I am with you. Fear not. You imagine Zerubbabel trying to get the people together? You remember, imagine him trying to, trying to gather, saying, hey, we're going to go back. We're going to build this temple. We're going we're gonna to reimagine the former glory. We're going to lead our people into a new era, a new age. And he shows up, and then nothing happens. And God says, fear not. I'm still with you. 
I still called you to this. You've obeyed. You've been obedient. I'm still with you. Things didn't end up the way you thought they would. I'm still with you. And here's the point he's trying to get across for you and for me and for people of all time. It's this, is that God is with you even in your disappointments. God is with you even in your disappointments. We think that when we obey, God will bless like it's this computer algorithm that I can just do the right thing and God will bless it and things will work out. If I follow these rules, if I live the right way, God's gonna give me a good and happy life, but that's not how God works. Jesus tells us that. He says, in this world, you will face trials. You will face sorrows. But the hope that God offers and the hope that Jesus offers us is to take heart because he has overcome the world. That our God, as long as he's still with us, he is still working, he is still moving. Even when things don't work out the way that we thought and assumed they would, he's still with us. He's still working a greater plan than we can see. We just have a part to play, maybe a part that we wouldn't have chosen. There was a church that I uh, served at previously, and uh, it was hard. It was hard. We would, it was a great church, great people, but like it was just hard ground. Like we were small, and we were trying to, to gather people and reach people and tell people about Jesus and reach into our neighborhoods, but it was, it was slow going. And like honestly, our church didn't really grow. It just kind of stayed small. And we tried really hard, but things really wouldn't grow, really wouldn't wouldn't change. And I remember feeling pretty discouraged and talking to some people just kind of about it, you know, after a Sunday one day. And one of, the, one of the guys who had been there at that church for a really long time started to share with me about the glory days, you know. He said, you should have been here when our founding pastor was here. He would get up on stage. He would preach for an hour and a half on one word from the Bible and people would love it. They would cheer. They would clap. They would praise. They would invite their neighbors. We'd pack this place out. We'd have a thousand people in here every service, every Sunday. And it was coming from this place. Not, he wasn't trying to be mean, but it was coming from this place of like, man, you should have seen it. This place was great. This place was amazing. I wish you could have been there. Those were the glory days. And for me, it just, what it hit was like, oh, like none of that's happening right now. Like, was God with him, but not with me? Like, did he do something special? Like, I feel like I'm preaching. I feel like I'm following it, but it's not, things aren't happening the same way. And I remember talking to an older pastor that was part of our congregation, just sharing that with them and being like, you know, I, it's honestly kind of discouraging. I wish I could have been here back then because things were really, really going strong. And I remember he shared with me and he, he said, it sticks in my brain still, he said, if, if God would have wanted you back then, he could have done that. But God didn't choose for you to be here back then. God chose for you to be here now, in this time. He wants you here now, in this time. And this is the message for us in the midst of our disappointment. You may be like me and think, man, I wish we could just rewind the clock a little bit. I wish I could go back to when things were better, when the world was a better place, when things weren't so crazy, when things weren't so expensive, when things weren't so crazy and wild. Out there. Like, I wish I could just go back and, and live at a different time, and, and, and God could have placed you in that time if he wanted. But, but God placed you here, now, today, with the people around you. Maybe your career, man, like the industry was a lot better. It's not your time. Maybe your family was a lot stronger. Oh, we always lived down here. 
It's not the time you're in. Maybe your own faith, man, it just would have been so much easier if the people around me would have believed and known God. That's not our time. This is our time. God has chosen you to be here in this generation with these people and with these problems in the world because you are playing a part in God's solution. You have a role to play. You have an opportunity to be faithful to God in the midst of your disappointments, in the midst of your circumstances, in this generation. You may long for the glory days and wish you were back then, but that's not what God chose for you. God puts you here now for a purpose and for a reason. For these leaders, I'm sure they felt that. I'm sure they imagined the temple. They imagined walking with King David or King Solomon when he built the temple and, and, and hearing about the, the plans as they were planning it and, and seeing, seeing them build it and seeing the presence of God move in. And I'm sure they heard the stories from their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers and grandmas. And they were thinking, man, I wish I could have been back then. But they weren't. God chose them for this job. And it's, it's a hard one. It may be a role that they wouldn't have chosen, but, but God did. God picked it for him because he had a plan in place and he had a purpose for their life. And it's in the midst of this disappointment that we cling to Jesus and we cling to the work that God will do. Because let me ask you something. What made Solomon's temple so special? I mean, yeah, it was beautiful. He was wealthy. Israel was powerful, all that stuff. But what made Solomon's temple special was the presence of God in it. The fact that the thunder shook and the smoke filled it. That when people went in, they were overwhelmed with the glory and the presence of God. That's what made it special. And that's not something that Zerubbabel or these other leaders could make happen. That is a work that God has to do. And for some of us, we're in these situations and our disappointments are really outside of our control. We said, hey, I've done the right things. Like, I, I really feel like, yeah, I could have been better. I'm not perfect, but I did the right things with my family. I did the right things with my career. I did the right things with my faith. I tried. I'm trying real hard, God, but I need you to move. Like, I need you to, to do it. And so our first step is accepting that truth that, hey, this is our time. And our second step is to wait faithfully for God to move because it's true. The only one who can change things in a big way is God himself. We can't control the world around us. That's too big for us. But God can. God can change things in an instant. Look at this, this message here, this last message that we're going to look at today that Haggai sends to Zerubbabel in the midst of this disappointment where Zerubbabel was obedient. He followed God. He did what he should. And from our perspective and from his perspective, it looks like God didn't show up. Look what God says to him. He tells Haggai chapter 2 verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. 
I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Of hosts. He's telling Zerubbabel, just hang in there, man. Just hang in there. I'm on it. I've got a plan. You've got a part to play. I know it's not maybe the way you wanted it to go. I know your life doesn't look the way that you thought it would look. I know that things didn't turn out the way that you imagined, but what God is saying to him and what God is saying to you is, I see that and I know that, but I am with you. And when the time comes, he will shake the heavens and the earth. And he will change everything in an instant. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever is happening in, in your family or in your, your faith or in your work, like hang in there. God sees it. Jesus would weep with those who weep. He knows what we're going through. He understands what you're going through in a personal level. God knows what you're going through. But if you're seeking him, he is still with you. He has not abandoned you, and he has a plan. And one day, maybe in your lifetime or maybe not, he will shake the heavens and the earth, and when people will see the, the, the humble beginnings fully glorified, fully magnified to the way God had planned. Because here's the deal about Zerubbabel, right? He was called by God to go rebuild this temple, and he was disappointed with it because it seemed small and insignificant and nothing like the temple in its former glory. But it's this temple that would live on, and it's through Zerubbabel's line and lineage that one would come called Jesus. And Jesus would show up, and he would walk, and he would teach, and he would pray at this temple, making it far greater, far more glorious than the temple of the past. God with us, God in the flesh, Jesus would come to this humble little temple. And there's no way that Zerubbabel could have imagined that or prepared for that. But God had a great plan. And the sad part is Zerubbabel would never see it or even know until glory what would happen. But for you and for me, maybe that's our role to play. Maybe... Things are going good. You're listening to this and you're like, dude, I'm living in the glory days. Things are great right now. And that's awesome. We all want to be like you. But maybe you're like me and you think, well, things used to be better and I feel like things are hard right now. God sees that. He knows that. And he's calling you to be faithful, to remain faithful, to step up and fill the gap in your generation and pray and seek him and wait. And maybe it's in your lifetime and maybe it's, not, but one day God will shake the heavens and the earth and he will make all things new as it should be. God has the power to do that. He can do that and one day he will do that. Just like we were singing about. Man, we, we look and we long for the day of Jesus's return where all things will be made new, where we will be restored and our faith will be made perfect in him because we can see him and we can know him and we can be with him. And Jesus promises that one day he'll do that. 
may not be in our lifetime, but maybe it is. We don't know. But in the meantime, it is our job to be faithful where we are with what we've got, with who's in front of us, and to seek him and to pray, pray expectantly for him to shake the heavens and the earth. So my advice to you is that some of you here right now are saying, man, things are not good. My life is broken. Jesus offers you hope. He offers you a lifeline. He's the one that we can hold on to when the circumstances around us look real bad. He's the one that we can trust in that one day he will make things new. But it starts with knowing him and being able to seek him and talk to him. Without Jesus, man, our circumstances can just overwhelm us and sink us. But with Jesus, we can have hope to stay faithful and carry on and push through. So if you're someone who's never put their faith in Jesus, I just want to close our time today by giving you a chance to do that. Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life and showed us what life could be, a life close to our heavenly father, a life without sin. And he was our author and our perfecter. He was the model and and, and finisher of our faith. He showed us what it could be to follow after God perfectly. And he lived a perfect life without sin. And the Bible tells us that he was crucified, executed on a cross and that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And that three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and offers you a new life in him. And that new life, it's, it's real. It's hard to see it sometimes, but just like the promises to Zerubbabel, there's promises to us that one day it will turn for us. That he'll take us home. And so if you're someone struggling and going through a lot right now, or you just feel like, man, my faith is not where it was, I just want to lead you in a time and just that lifeline to reach out to this Jesus. Put your faith in him and ask him for hope. Or maybe you're not finding hope elsewhere. And see, Lord, carry me. Take me through. Carry me through my disappointments in all the way the circumstances are overwhelming me. So can we close in a time of prayer together? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray for my friends who are here tonight, this morning, that they just feel like they got nowhere else to go. Lord, I pray for the people here who are just feeling like overwhelmed with life. Pray, Lord, that you would work in their midst, that you would bring hope and encouragement and strength. Pray, God, that you would shake the heavens and the earth and that things would change. I pray for my friends here who are just desperate about work and it just seems difficult and they feel stuck and they feel like they're just not gonna make ends meet, Lord, that you would renew their strength, remind them of your provision and God, that you provide in big and generous and glorious ways. I pray for my friends here who are looking at their family and they're, they're disappointed in the way things have turned out and they just feel like they thought things would be better. Lord, I pray that you would bring hope and healing, that you bring restoration to their homes, that you repair relationships with their children or their parents or their siblings, their marriage. 
Lord, I pray for those who are kind of desperate and they feel far from you and just need you to work. Lord, I pray that you'd shake the heavens and the earth in their lives, that they would experience you in a real and true way and that you would renew their faith in a way that only you can do so. And for those who are just looking to put their faith in you for the first time and looking for that lifeline, well, I just encourage you to pray along with me. Father, I'm a sinner and I'm far from you, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Save me, Lord. Renew me. Bring me your spirit. Bring me new life. I put my faith and my trust in you. I choose to follow after you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Hey, if um, that's something that maybe you've done here for the first time, uh, we would love to just follow up with you, talk to you. Uh, so if you're someone who's put your faith in Jesus, uh, you can go ahead and fill out uh, that card on the seat back in front of you. Or an easy way to go do that is to go to cityrev.org faith and go ahead and fill that out online. We would just love to contact you, give you a Bible and help you in any way that we can. But we know that uh, this new year, there's a lot of things that we're hoping for. And we know that if you're a human, that there's probably things that, disappointments that you're dealing with. We also know that God can shake the heavens and the earth, that he can change things, but for him to change things, we gotta ask. And so we're gonna sing that song again. So would you stand and sing this song together with us as we close out our time. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.